This morning, our scripture readings uh, are centered on the call of Paul, the apostle. And the first comes from Acts chapter 22, verses 2 through 16. And then we'll go to Galatians as we begin, really, our second week in a five-month series on this letter of Paul. Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 2. And when they heard Paul speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. From Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you are tired of religious effort, or if you're worn down by the things that you imagine that you have to do to be a good Christian. Or if you feel like faith is is keeping a checklist of things. Or if at times you feel you're not good enough for God, not good enough for church. Or if you feel like your faith is just more burdensome than freeing. That's your experience then the small book of the Bible that is called Galatians is for you. 
This letter written by the Apostle Paul to a small group of Christians in the ancient area called Galatia uh, is a letter insisting on grace and the freedom that we experience when we live by that grace. One commentator calls Galatians a letter for recovering Pharisees. You know, Pharisees lived in the time of Jesus and they were very devout, very religious uh, leaders. And the Pharisees thought that what God would do for them depended on what they would do for God. They insisted on keeping the Bible right to the letter, to the nth degree. God was in the minds and the actions of the Pharisees, but you know what? He wasn't in their hearts. Let me ask us this. Do you ever think God will do good things for you if you do good things for Him? A kind of a holy trade-off, a spiritual give and take, if you would. Or do you ever, even subtly, even subtly think, you know what, if... Uh, if we do things that we just know aren't Christian, uh, that God turns our back, His back on us? Or do you ever think, you kind of keep a spiritual scorecard in the back of your mind about how many good things you are doing to please God and really win His favor? If you resonate positively with any of those questions, you may be a recovering Pharisee. Because, like the Pharisees, Your standing with God depends on what you do and the effort you put forth and how well you do it. I have some of that in me. And I could use a good reading of Galatians because this letter tells me that I am okay with my Heavenly Father, that I am loved by Him, and I can have confidence that I have a good standing with my Father solely in the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't deserve the favor of God, but He gives it to me anyway. And that grace is freely given by a God who is bigger than I can comprehend with a heart that is greater and wider than I can imagine. And let me say this. If I, as your pastor, have ever led you to believe that we have to come to church and we have to read the Bible and we have to pray and we have to serve the poor and we have to give our time and our finances and we have to serve in this church and we have to agree with Pastor Phil or do any other number of things to be right with God, forgive me. Because that's not the gospel. The gospel is of Jesus Christ is that we are saved by His grace as a free gift. The fact that we don't do anything, the fact that we can't do anything to make it with God, that's hard to digest for a lot of people. Uh, Sometimes we say, yeah, we trust in grace, but really we live by our own effort, don't we? Kind of sneak into that. A counselor, um, I heard say once, counselor meets with many people, hears many needs, said this, Many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. The failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness, and the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. 
We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions. God's grace needs to get into our hearts. It needs to get into our feelings. It needs to get into our nervous systems. Grace is what sets apart Christianity from every other religion, every other system of belief, every other philosophy. The pastor and the writer Gordon MacDonald said, the world can do almost anything as well as or better than the church. You don't need to be a Christian to build houses or feed the hungry or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. And so we are going to slowly go through Galatians because some of us need to be reminded that our relationship with God is based on grace. And some of us need to hear grace maybe for the first time. You know, the way that information and uh, instruction got circulated in the earliest days of Christianity was by letters. Thirteen of the books of the New Testament are letters that are written by the Apostle Paul to various Christians in various places, churches. His letters would be delivered to a church. It would be read out loud. Often it would be taken to another church and they would hear it. And the faith that we know in Jesus, Christianity, that faith comes from Judaism. It comes from the Jewish people. Uh, Jesus and his disciples were all Jewish. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah fulfilling the Jewish prophets and the law. But as the message of Jesus spread through his disciples to many places in the world, including non-Jewish places, many Gentiles began to believe. And perhaps the first question in the area of conflict that rose in early Christianity was this. If you believe in Jesus as the Messiah, do you still have to abide by all the Jewish laws? In other words, do you have to be Jewish before you can become Christian in order to be right with God? And this was a cause of huge debate and not a little bit of division. The apostles, after a lot of thought and a lot of prayer and a lot of debate, came to the conclusion that a person wasn't right with God by keeping the law, but solely through the saving grace of Christ and trusting in his death and in his resurrection. Now, there were still some, though, who said you had to keep the Jewish system even if you were Christian. And Galatians is Paul's letter writing against that very thinking. Galatians is not a friendly letter. Paul is hacked. He is torqued that the Galatians, who he helped bring to Christ, were now believing those people who were insisting that they had to be fully Jewish in order to be Christian. They had to still keep the laws and all the regulations. And and Paul is under more than just a little bit of stress because he is not only upset that the Galatians have ceased to live by grace, but he's ticked off that the preachers and religious leaders who are guiding them that way are, are, are giving this message to them, which is why he begins his letter in very, very strong terms. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, but from, not from man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. He begins by highlighting that his call isn't from humans, but it's none other than the Lord from the Lord himself. Now, why would he need to say this? Well, the reason Paul does this is that certain leaders were saying 
that Paul's calling was really his own invention. He couldn't be trusted in what he said. Paul, an apostle. What's an apostle? Literally, the word means one who is sent. Um, Jesus chose 12 apostles out of a larger group of disciples. Those apostles had a special and unique calling. And one of the qualifications of being an apostle was you had to have seen and been with and heard Jesus. You had to be a witness to him, and particularly, you had to be a witness to him alive after he rose again. Now, we know that because Judas killed himself, um, the other apostles chose Matthias to take his place. That made 12 again. And after that, Barnabas and the Lord's brother named James were named apostles, and then Paul. You know, apostolic authority, the apostles' witness is so important because Christian belief is based on the writing and the witness of those apostles. Uh, It is the original and few apostles that are the foundation for the belief and the faith of Christianity. It's why their writings are filled the New Testament and we read them and we study them and we hear them and we preach from them because they saw Jesus and they heard him and they knew him like no one else. Really, everything we do must continue really their witness and what they've told us. In Ephesians 2, it says this, God's household is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And when churches begin to move away from that foundation, that's when problems begin, and that's when we get into trouble. Paul had previously been named Saul, He was previously a Pharisee before his conversion to Christianity. He was deeply jealous and zealous for the Jewish law. He was a religious hothead. And he absolutely hated Christians. Going to the point of seeing them as a threat to Judaism and Moses and the temple and all things of his religion. So much so that he led a campaign of severest persecution leading to the arrest, the torture, even the death of many Christians. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Saul in a very dramatic and powerful way, and it changed him forever. Literally, it knocked him off his horse. Paul was on yet another mission to round up Christians. The resurrected Jesus appeared to him, blinded him, knocked him off his horse, and called him to be his witness. Acts chapter 22 is one of the places where we read of this experience. And as we get further into Galatians, we will hear more about Paul's authentication as a true apostle. But he begins his word to the Galatian Christians with his call. Um, I think my ear shrunk this week. This just isn't fitting quite as well. Martin Luther, in his first chapter on his commentary, his explanation of Galatians, talks about the doctrine of what he calls the certainty of call. How do we know when someone is sent from the Lord, when they should speak for the Lord and they are speaking for God? Especially in a day when there's all kinds of people who stand up and say, I'm sent from God, I speak for God. And when people can, heck man, we can print out a certificate of ordination on the internet and wave it and say, uh, I'm qualified to do what I'm to do in the name of Christ. It's tricky in our day and age. We don't get life-shattering visions of the risen Lord like Paul did. In our tribe, 
Presbyterians. In this tribe, the way we figure that out is it takes the larger church, it takes others to recognize if someone has been sent, if someone is called to a particular ministry. We don't abide lone rangers who just stand up on their own and say, I'm it and I'm going. There need to be others who through prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit agree and say, yes, he or she has a calling from the Lord. It's a process of discernment. And should we not have expectations for those who lead us, who teach, who preach, those we send out to serve in Christ's name? Because just going to seminary, uh, just having a lot of knowledge of the Bible or religious knowledge, um, publishing a book, being good-looking or having a great presentation, those things by themselves don't qualify someone to represent the Lord. No one can just run and speak on their own. I would say that someone is sent from God when they have uh, the gifts to preach, to teach, to handle the gospel and to lead people. When they have a sense of calling from the Lord and a willingness to submit that call to others who are wise and discerning. Humble humility, spiritual and emotional maturity. The Spirit of God is in and on that person. And there's a strong conviction that their calling only comes from the mercy and the grace of God. It's not a right, nor do they necessarily deserve it. You know, Paul did not presume upon his calling from Christ. Listen to what he writes to one of his young protégés, Timothy, in, in 1 Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. That's the way Paul felt about himself and his call. He said it was from God. There's a story of a young boy who, uh, in his teen years, and he wanted to become a minister. And the reason he wanted to become a minister was because he was uh, in the chapel service of his school one day, and he heard a powerful sermon that uh, spoke to him about that. And uh, someone asked him the name of the preacher of the sermon, wanting to know what would move this young boy and have such a powerful effect on him. And the boy said, I don't know the preacher's name. But I know that God spoke to me that day. I think above all, someone sent and called to speak for and represent the Lord Jesus Christ must have the right message, which is the gospel of grace. The message of grace is an authentication of being sent by Jesus Christ. And right there, in those very first few verses, Paul gets it in. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Jesus Christ, who rescues us from this evil age and all of this according to the will of God our Father. Three things there. 
First, the resurrection. Take away the resurrection and we gut the Christian message of its hope and of its power. Second, Christ giving himself on the cross. Luther said that sin and evil's power is so great that it couldn't be removed by any other means except the Son of God be given for it. That is why I take it so seriously. That's why I take the sin in my life so seriously because it took the very life and the intervention of the Son of God to bring Phil to the Father. Third, we find in these verses that rescue is needed. In verse 4, that word for rescue can also mean deliver. It can mean set free. We are rescued from this evil age. Yes, an evil age. Things are bad. Jesus said he came to give his life as a ransom. It says Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. The scripture says to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. A ransom was needed. There was something to be freed from. And that word for rescue means that we are not removed from this evil world, but we are rescued from the power of it. We are in the world, but ultimately it does not harm us. Galatians is very much a rescue letter. It tells us how God has rescued us. And all of this, all of this, is the work of God, not us. We are merely recipients. Therefore, it is all grace. Undeserved, freely given, out of the big, merciful heart of God, our Father. Really, it's a, it's a, a gospel beyond belief. Do nothing, it's done for you. And therefore, Paul says, to God be all glory forever and ever. Amen. Yes, let's be grateful. Let's give God glory. We're merely recipients of God's gracious work and benefits in Jesus Christ. He has done it out of his massive and immense love for us. And that is what this table points to. The immense and massive love and grace of Jesus Christ for us. And he invites those who want him and who want to love him more to this table. He invites those who have been here often and those who haven't been here enough, those who have faith and those who just have a little faith, those who have followed and those who have tried to follow and failed. He invites those who know they need him and want him here, to the Lord's Supper, communion, where Jesus meets us. Let's pray together and let's prepare to come to the bread and the cup. You deserve our greatest praise, mighty God, for coming to us as you did. When we were lost, when we turned from you, you didn't abandon us. And when we came back to you, your arms were opened wide and welcome. 
And you prepare a table for us, offering not just bread and the cup, but your very self so that we may be filled, so that we may be forgiven and healed and blessed and made new again. And how we need that. Lord, we can't take bread and forget those who are hungry. Use our prosperity in ministry to the poor. We can't take the cup and forget those who are thirsty. Would you use our fullness for those who are empty? This morning we pray for the country of Somaliland. That you would bring a new openness. That there would be a thirst for who you really are. That above and beyond, Lord, through the shackles and the weight of Islam in that country, your grace would begin to touch lives and that you would strengthen Richard and Tricia to do it. Lord, there are many places that are dark that, where your name is not accepted, where people are in danger because they even speak it. Oh God, that you are alive. You are greater than those things. We pray for your protection upon the Dilworths for unity in their ministry with all those who serve with them. Lord, we thank you for the life of Betty Roman, that you called her home this week. We pray for the healing of Kathy White and Audrey Gann and Rebecca Hoyt, Susan Decker and Vivian Bailey. You know their needs. You know, Lord, the patience and the trust and the healing that is required for them. God, we pray for Joey's mother, that she might overcome cancer one more time. We pray for Caitlin and Chris Carsetta, for Chris's injury for the reconstructive surgery that will be required for him and that you will physically heal him and provide for their financial needs. We pray for Anne Bueno, for the medical procedures that she will have, that they will remove all unhealthy cells from her. And Lord, this morning we come... We pray for our dear servant and friend, Dorothy Hammond. We pray for her peace. We pray that as strength fails, she would only be drawn closer to you. And that her eyes and her heart would see you and know you. That you would be a refuge and a strength for their family. We give her to you, Lord as we've been doing for these four and a half years since she first was diagnosed with cancer. Thank you for the faith she has in you. God, you sent Jesus to heal, and to preach and to teach and show us the way to the kingdom. Our hands are empty as we share this communion. We bring nothing of our own worthiness. We only can receive the grace that's freely given in Christ. So we ask your Holy Spirit to come and transform these very common elements of bread and grape juice and wine into something uncommon, that it might be the body and blood of Christ. It's in Him, the Son of God, that we pray. Amen.